Shout out Tay Devs was really, really good with you all out there. To the attentive audience, I may have pulled the Diaz and am releasing this episode number 22 one week later than I previously was aiming for for the 22nd. I apologize sincerely and appreciate you all for understanding and not being up in arms. I've been busy working on some internal dev days work and presentation. Plus, as of November the 15th, your boy has leveled up to a level 38 human being. And, you know, I figure I'd just go ahead and catch up over the National Day of Mourning. I've been busy with interviews. The Latinx Game Festival brought me back for their third annual event. Happened virtually over Twitch. Did a really awesome interview. I felt it was pretty candid. Shout out to Jason Vega for putting that together. Before kicking off the episode, I guess I'll call out a few things. Elaine Gomez is a unicorn. She's a Puerto Rican, Dominican, Latina game designer. What? Yes, you heard it right. Have you ever worked with one? Let me know. That's a rare breed. I got to connect with her when we did the game design panel at last year's, the 2020 Latinx Games Festival. And I'm really a fan of her activism in the industry. She goes in and bears all talking about all the trials and tribulations she went through, surviving her childhood, getting her master's in game design, breaking into the industry and finding her happy place slash probably even forever place at Brass Line Entertainment. So without further ado, let's start the show. On episode 22 of the Out of Play Area podcast, we feature the amazing Elaine Gomez. She is an award-winning game designer currently working at Brass Lion Entertainment with five years of experience in gameplay and systems design. She is one of six co-founders of the Latinx in Gaming and supports the organization with game development-related initiatives and resources. Elaine is passionate about mentorship and often lends her design, knowledge, and resources to serve young game developers across the globe. You may know her work from Eline Media on Beyond Blue. So please show a warm welcome for Elaine Gomez. Let's start the show. Bienvenido, bienvenue. Welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast a show by video game devs for game devs where the guests open up one-on-one -on -one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. I feel you with a Puerto Rican beer's medalla and it doesn't taste the same when it's imported either. I don't know what it is. I save it for when I'm like in New York and they get the good stuff or I'm in DR. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. When I went to the DR, they had presidentes at our like villa or whatever. Like the fridge was stacked. <laughs> it was so good. And anytime that we would drink some, they would just restock it. So like, all right, no, it's free presidente all day, every day. Oh, that's the best. That like all included, yes. just take care of you. Never go thirsty, never go hungry. Yes. It was such a fun experience. It was my first time doing an all-inclusive. Which part of the island? So we landed in Santo Domingo, mm -hmm. but our villa all-inclusive resort place was all the way in Punta Cana. <laughs> yes. Yes. We had to drive. It's like, like four hours. <laughs> it was a long time. Yo. My brothers and I were not happy because imagine going on an airplane, right? You're going like five hours or whatever, and then you get off 
It's like, okay, another five hours of transit. It's like, dad, what did you do? (laughs) We got confused with the airports. And it's not an easy drive. I'm sure there's some off-roading you got to do. Yes. Like, I was pretty wild. Like, I've never seen somebody drive like that in my life. (laughs) You're happy that the plane lands. Everybody claps. Everybody's excited. You take the breath of air. You're like, yes, Mm -hmm. all the humidity. And then in the car... It was like, woo, like I was going speeding. <laughs> then the motorcycles that like don't follow any type of traffic laws. Oh, yeah. That was scary. Like yeah. we saw some scary stuff happening. And there's like no, not even like traffic lights or anything. Everybody's just going and stopping and going. It was wild. But it was nice to see the countryside during that like five hour drive. Yeah. So you were able to see the mountains and it looked like rainforests and farms and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice. Just a beautiful nature. Yeah. And then the rest of the time we were just driving around. My dad booked like a tour bus. Mm-hmm. And then we went to like Santiago, Bani, like where my grandmother grew up, which are like, I wouldn't say slums, but it was poor. Yeah, villages. And then they took us like super deep into really poor neighborhoods where people were like making homes out of like, it looked like mud and brick and stuff. Mm-hmm. In the mountains. Yes. And then we went into the border of IT and that was really rough. That was really rough. If you think you seem poverty, mm-hmm. get to the border of Haiti and that gives you a whole different perspective. Yeah, that was really sad to see all that. It's like it breaks your heart because you're like, oh shit, like I'm here for vacation. Mm-hmm. I, I have everything. And here they are just like selling whatever they have just to make like a few cents essentially. Yeah. So it's pretty heartbreaking, but I'm glad I saw it because it really makes you humble and makes you see things a bit different, you know? It makes you grateful for everything we got, everything, mm-hmm. every little thing, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, we don't got to get into it, but the difference it makes of who colonized you or settled, right? Like the difference of how France Mm -hmm. just kind of used the land and the people versus Spain and how they kind of at least gave a little bit back to the country and, and supported and helped it grow. The history impacts a lot of today, right? I had to go to Puerto Rico for a while. I was there Mm -hmm. for about six weeks, seven weeks to be with my mom and my grandmother who's going through her Alzheimer's and all that. My uncle has been doing a lot of Ancestry.com or something. Yeah. Like going deep. the family tree genetics and all that. Yeah, like super deep. And he has had the opportunity to like talk to my grandfather because he's had a lot of one-on-one time. Yeah, yeah. Taking advantage. Like I didn't know like my grandfather's family comes from like mayordomos, which are the people who like had plantations. So like I have now this like battle in my mind where it's just like I know that my dad's side of the family came from like slavery because my dad's family is like black Dominican. And then you have my mom's side of the family who's like Spaniard and had plantations and owned slaves. So Uh, it's just like that battle in my head. And I was like, wow, like I have two sides of my DNA, which literally were against each other and like abuse the other. And it's just like, I've been really thinking about that a lot, but there's nothing I can do about it, right? It's just the history of the family. Just carrying on and passing down the knowledge, right? Of like experiences and telling the stories that it's very real. And the Dominican Republic, my mom is hardcore, fair skin, light skin hides from the sun does not let her skin touch the sun at all and she's super old school mentality where it's like darker skinned equals working the land right and and lower means or whatever if you see my mom and my my aunt everybody's like super white like they're lighter than me because i got low sun 
<laughs> yeah, you, you come back from Puerto Rico yes. for a good while. It's interesting to see, like, even in none of my immediate aunts are my mom, but their cousins, they have, like, green eyes and hazel eyes. So that's a recessive gene. Yep. Definitely in the family. But then my dad's side is, like, Taino and Black, like, mixed together. So you could definitely see, like, their whole, like, feature, the features on their face is way different than, like, common Dominicans that you mm-hmm. would see. Although I have met light-skinned Dominicans. I have met white Dominicans. See, see, see. Chinese Dominicans oh, as yeah. well. In Puerto Rico, the same. We have Chinese Puerto Ricans too. Yeah, the islands are so close, and yep. yeah, you get everybody. I don't know how they get there, but <laughs> I don't know how they get, get there either. <laughs> but they, they do, there. and they make it work, and they make ends meet, and hey, they're happy. I always think that life is good, right? But again, when you come from over here, you have pretty good means. Your money goes a long way and having family over there helps for sure, right? Because then you get put in touch with the locals and you're usually accepted, right? Like once you're in there, you're just immersed in the culture and you want to learn more and you want to contribute and talk the ish, eat the food, dance, (laughs) drink, all that. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. My words per minute speaking go up significantly if I've hung out in DR for a bit. Yep, same. (laughs) (laughs) Or even in Puerto Rico, it's it's different. Mm. Cheers to you, Elaine. Thank you for taking the time. Salud. Salud. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I get to reminisce on the first time I got to meet you or at least do a joint event thing was for... Latinx Games Festival. Latinx Games Festival Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at the end of last year. Yep. With you, Sandra, and Juan. So sounds like I'll hopefully be seeing all of them sooner than later. Yeah. Juan just got a job at Microsoft. I've been trying to poke him behind the scenes. I'm like, yo, bro, when are we going to talk? When are we going to catch up? <laughs> he's like, yo, yo, wait, let me get settled. Let me figure it out over here. And then I'll come through. Nice. That's exciting. That's so sweet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wonderful human being. Absolutely. When we last spoke, you were at Eli Media, which is funny because every time... I've heard of this place. I could have sworn it was your own company. <laughs> it's your name on it. It's your business. You made no. that thing. <laughs> no. It just happens to be that my name starts with an E. And mm-hmm. It's E-Line Media. But they, I found out that they named it E-Line Media because the studio was close to the E-Line in New York City. Oh. So they just named it E-Line after that. Epa. So that would have been like Manhattan and then like runs up into Queens. You're asking the wrong girl. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well, so let's get into it. Where's home for you? Home for me, man. That's a complicated and loaded question, actually. Okay. Where's like school and like stomping grounds and like hanging out? Like stomping grounds growing up. Mm -hmm. Home is New Jersey. But my heart's on in the island, right? Because that's like family, you know? So like my heart is in Puerto Rico. My stomping grounds growing up is in Puerto Rico. But I feel like I would love to call California home, like in the future. So like my heart's like super divided into these like three locations. Well, this is where you like studied, got work, made games. Made friends. Yeah. I feel like I came into my own when I moved to California. Because like in New Jersey, it was like I was around my parents and it was more like, you know, pleasing your parents, like doing things right so you don't get yelled at. You know what I mean? Just being a good kid or at least trying to be. And then just doing what I got to do. I call it uh, dodging the chancleta. Exactly. Madurate. This was where you came up, built yourself, built T-Lane. 
Yeah, I went on my self-reflection, like identity, like who am I really? What do I believe in? All that stuff. I I went through all of that in California. So it's a special place for me. Hell yeah, it's a beautiful place too. I love it when East Coasters come out to the West Coast. It's usually a very different world. It's a different speed. It's a different way of life. It is a different way of life because everything in New Jersey and New York is like on the run. You got to go, go, go. It's like you go from here to here. There's no time in the agenda for you to do anything else but do all these things over here. I feel like people's lifestyle is a bit more lax. I imagine it's something to do with the sun and the heat and the ocean. Yeah, being close by, right, to the water and whatnot. Maybe. And also, like, you don't get any season changes here. Like, everything's pretty steady. But back home in New Jersey, as soon as that fall hits, winter feels, like, gray and gloomy. And you're just sad. And then pack on weight because you just eat because you're sad because it's ugly outside. Like, that's just how it is, right? And you go through that hibernation period from, like, essentially once Thanksgiving's over, that's pretty much it. It's just gray and gloomy and cold all the way into, like, sometimes... April and even May is still a little cold. So for half of the year is like that. Yeah, it becomes like game playing, movie watching, TV show, catching up on time. And mm-hmm. then spring, summer rolls around and you're like, all right, well, let's go. Let's do stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be on TV, anything, anything like this. So Elaine, talk to me about breaking into the industry. What was that like? What did it take for you to get in and achieve your dreams? It doesn't matter whether it's in games or not, like whatever you want to do, persistence is key. And if you're really passionate about something and you have your heart set in it, you have to keep going and you have to figure out how to do it. Like I've had to do that with my own life. When I decided to go for a master's in game design, my parents were like, we can't afford it. So you need to figure out how you're going to pay for it, literally. But I was determined and I was persistent. I was like, I'm not going to let that be an obstacle for me. And I think that's something as the Latinx community, you know, like coming from hardworking families Mm -hmm. who like really gave it their all so that we could have a future and we could have what we have. I feel like translates so hard into my passion and drive for everything, right? So like in the same way that you see people's success They didn't get there just by coasting through. Some people have just coasted through. They have connections. They have the privilege, whatever. But for us... Or they're good bullshitters. Yes, or they're good bullshitters. But for us, as people of color, you know, people who were not born in the United States, people who don't have money, you literally build yourself from the ground up. You are your biggest cheerleader and you are the reason why you want to get to wherever you want to get to. Persistence is key. If there's a will, there is a way. I believe in that 100%. I did it. My parents didn't have the money to put me through school. What did I do? I tried to apply to as many scholarships and grants and financial aids as I could. I was like, I'm not going to let money stop me from chasing after a master's degree because that's money. I'll be able to pay it eventually. It's an investment. It's just money. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. It's an investment in me and my future. And that's how I did it. Granted, do I have student loans? Yeah, up the ass. Like, I got a lot of student loans. But I can tell you that if it wasn't for that degree and the networking and the connections mm-hmm. that I made, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Give it 10 years. You'll be done in 10 years. It's all good. Exactly. And it's just a hump. It's just an obstacle that I had to get through in order to come to the other side. Whether it's like being a graphic designer, putting up your own designs, your own merch store. Whether being a content creator and putting up your Twitch channel with like whatever thousands of followers. If you want to be a game designer, a game developer, launch a game, get it published by a big company. Whatever it may be, whatever your dream is, 
be persistent. Don't quit. I needed to work really hard. I needed to sacrifice a lot to be where I am today. And I'm not here because I am a chosen one (laughs) or anything like that. I'm here because I worked my ass off and I did sacrifice a lot. And y'all don't even know the tears that I shed. The times where I felt lonely and isolated because I was studying to do my thing and everybody else was having fun relationships like for me my parents were like you need to get married you need to have a, a kid <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> and I was just like no my focus is on my career and now they look at me and they're like oh Elaine and you know she has a nice apartment she has a good salary she has a nice car and all this stuff and I was just like I wouldn't be able to have any of this if I had a kid and a family yeah, at 22 yeah. years old you know what I mean but I'm happy where I am now you know and I made I made it but I made myself get there yeah I pushed myself I challenge myself. I will say that when I was trying to hustle to break in, right, I didn't see anybody around me talking about making games. Everybody that was making games was Japanese or blonde haired, blue eyed, white American Mm -hmm. or something like that, right? So it really wasn't something that I saw myself represented in, but I went for it, right? Head down, knew I wanted to do this thing, went to school and made the damn thing happen. And I'm super happy you're here, specifically damn Latinx and gaming for one, right? To have this space for all of us with similar backgrounds and stories to share and help put each other on and encourage one another and network, right? You guys are everywhere, right? There's a Twitch, (laughs) there's Clubhouse, there's Twitter spaces, there's the Discord, There's LinkedIn events. Facebook. Have you ever been asked for a design portfolio? My first time was for this job at EA was like, hey, can we see a design portfolio? I was like, I don't got one of those. I've been doing this shit for mad long. I don't got no design portfolio. What the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. I always get asked for a portfolio. Yeah, portfolio. And in my job hunt, it varied. Some studios asked for even a design test. Some folks didn't. That's more common. Design test or, Mm -hmm. you know, straight for the resume or you got referred by somebody. What do you put in your design portfolio out of curiosity? So because I went to graduate school and had some games, my portfolio now is a combination of games that I have worked on and published. Yeah. As well as games that I'm working on personally. What is it? Is it like videos? Is it docs? So I'm actually thinking about putting docs because I think that would be helpful. Mm. But so far what I have are like GIFs, like showing like movement. I do have some videos and I have art Okay. for some of my games as well. And then for the games that have released, I just put the link up for if it's on itch.io yeah. or if it has like a Steam page. I just put those up. That makes me feel better. Right. Because it's definitely like, all right, here's the games I worked on. And then here's YouTube videos of like the content or whatever. Yeah, I think that's fair. As long as you are communicating and showcasing what you did, mm-hmm. like even game jam games. I love to, to do game jams and any game that I finish that it has like beginning, middle, end, and it's nice and polished. I put yeah. it in my portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> so I take it there's a few that didn't make it, right? Nope. <laughs> Learned a lot. They're prototypes. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome. I've been telling people too that in your portfolio, it's totally cool to also have a section called prototypes and just put oh, stuff yeah. that you worked on on there because that's Hell so yeah. valuable for people to see. For it's sure. like, oh, you actually made something small and it works. That's a good call out, right? Like, especially for professionals that have been doing this for a while, right? Like, uh, depending who you talk to, right? Like, when I talk to people outside of the game industry, they will be the first to point out like, that looks ugly. That looks whack. You know, it doesn't look like Call of Duty or Last of Us or whatever. I was like, all right, 
non-professional like, developer. Who do you think I am? <laughs> <laughs> right. But when other yeah. developers, they can see behind the presentation to see, oh, I see the mechanics here. I see the systems at work. How did you stand these up? What did you learn? What interested you, right? It's all about peeking or scratching at what interests you. Like, oh, why did you build this fighting mechanism? Oh, tell me more about your passions in combat design, right? And be like, oh, okay, cool. I actually need somebody like you, right? Like, let's talk more. Where are you today? You recently made a jump and I'm super interested to see what you're doing today. What's your role? What's the job like? How you liking it? So I did get a new job, which is really exciting. Uh, I had been looking for a job for a year and a half. So it's crazy. It took me a long time. Yeah. You didn't tell nobody. That's what happened. I didn't tell anybody. And it was kind of just at first, it was just kind of like, okay, let me just test the waters to see if I can find something. I wasn't really like super into it. I wasn't like, oh, I need a new job. I need to get out of here. But things changed at the studio that I was at. And I started to notice things that I just was not comfortable with, things that were affecting my mental health and like my personal life. And that's when I was like, you know what? I really do need to take this seriously. I need to find a new place to work. At that point, it was like a year looking. And, and not to say that like studios didn't want me because I went super far in the interview process in several studios that I really, really liked. But it just like, I guess the timing just wasn't right, you know, and the mm -hmm. door closed and I just had to move on. But I'm so glad that that happened because the company that I'm at now, Brass Line Entertainment, it's a new company. They literally just started hiring and like opening up everything like in December of last year. Oh, wow. So they've only been hiring in the past, what, like maybe five months or so. Mm -hmm. And if I would have gotten a new job prior to that, I would have never been able to come to that studio because it just didn't exist, right? Yeah. So I feel like the timing was just so right for me to be able to apply. The studio that literally had just opened, they just started their hiring process. And I was within the first like 20 people that they hired at the studio. Man. So that's pretty special. And absolutely. It's special to me because out of all the companies that I have been interviewing for, they were the ones who were the most diverse. And when I say diverse, I mean it like the co-founder and like C-level folks of the company are people of color and the CEO is a woman. That to me is like, yes, like you, you don't see that often, right? No. You don't see black, South Asian, brown, or even women in C-level a lot in no, companies. True. Very true. I feel super lucky that I'm able to be at a company that is like that. And because the founding members, like the executive team is diverse, therefore the whole team is diverse from all departments. I would say like white folks are the minority, <laughs> <laughs> which is like really uncommon, right? And yeah, oh yeah, for sure. It feels America. really good. It feels really good to be a part of that because like, oh, y'all see me, y'all get me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's, it's a different type of vibe when you can talk to folks about like culture, about like what's going on in the world and people get you and they, they understand you. They don't dismiss you, you know, or they don't want to sweep things under the rug because it's controversial. Like, mm -hmm. no, like they value you being bold and like standing up for the things that you believe in on social media or things like that. So it's important to me, it's special to me. And I'm really, really lucky that I was able to, to land a spot as a game designer there. Timing is everything. 
And it feels like it had to pan out this way. Like mm -hmm. this was written well in advance for you. It sounds like a lot of what you're talking about to me feels like New York, right? It feels like mm -hmm. New York City, the big ass melting pot. And you get everything, shape, sizes, colors, creeds, mm -hmm. and you get to kind of be yourself, be real, speak, yep. speak what's on your mind. And people, they don't get easily offended, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot more tougher skin back mm -hmm. home in the East Coast, for <laughs> sure. But funny you say that because the studio is based off in of New York. So I will be relocating there in a couple of months and my lease is up here. So I'm really excited. Oh, my goodness. You're leaving the West Coast where you... I'm leaving the West Coast. Became Elaine, the adult, the professional, yes. the game developer. Yep. Going back. Yeah, I'm going back, but I'm so excited because, um, of course, I have friends back in New York and New Jersey. My family's there. It's a bit closer to Puerto Rico, so I can go fly out more, probably more often. Same time zone. Yep. And just like the nightlife and the food and everything in New York City, it's just like nothing compares. Like LA got nothing on New York City pizza, on any type of food, on, on the bars. It's just everything is so much better, in my opinion, in New York City, so... I'm excited to just go back and enjoy all of that. You're not going to get any arguments from me. Like <laughs> New York, New York can definitely be expensive for a lot of things. But yeah. I feel like for living, living life, hanging out, drinking, eating, mm -hmm. partying, just the parks, the people, the trains, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever, cabs, taxis, that's not as expensive as you would think compared to other places in the country, like for specifically sure. on the West Coast, for sure. Yeah. The cost of living here is insane. Like what I pay for groceries here is wild. <laughs> and Cali gets like the good ass fruits and vegetables, right? For real. Like because there's <laughs> agriculture here and along the West Coast. So you would think that produce and stuff is cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know if it's like how much I'm buying or whatnot. My grocery receipts are always super high. But I'm comparing it to New Jersey as well because New Jersey is a garden state. So we do have quite a bit of produce there. Mm -hmm. And in Phoenix, where I lived for a few years when I was working at Elan Media, the cost of living is also much lower there. So anything from going to a restaurant to like grocery shopping, anything was a lot cheaper as well. So, yeah. you know, compare and contrast. Cost of living is always a, a big consideration when you're trying to make decisions between offers and places to mm -hmm. work and things like this. And it's really cool with the pandemic that remote work is a thing. Before this, I would have told you there was no way that games companies were going to let people work from home. Right. And now it's like everybody's like writing on it like nothing. It's like everybody wants a hybrid situation after the pandemic, which I think it's great because I like my own space. I like being at home and I like the flexibility. But at the same time, I do miss talking to people and having meetings face to face and getting that like teamwork and camaraderie that comes out of just being around people. Mm hmm. And that's really helpful for game design, right? Oh, my goodness. So, like, right now, like, game designing during Zoom meetings, like, that's tough. It's not <laughs> it's the not same. Easy. Yeah, it's, it's not, not the same. It takes much more effort, much more intentional meetings, a lot more one-on-ones. Yes. You know, you can't just kind of read the body language and, like, watch people on the screen. You got to sit there and talk, okay, what happened there? What are we thinking? It's a whole different beast. Yeah. And I actually got an opportunity. Well, I got two offers during my job hunt. One of them was from EA. So oh. I was just like. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. I had so to close. really think about it. Like, 
I spent a whole week weighing the pros and cons, writing lists. Like I talked to my mom and my dad. I talked to my uncle. I talked to my best friend. I talked to my partner. I talked to as many people as possible. Yeah. Like, what do you think would be the best decision? Like if, if it were up to you, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And I would ask. But I, of course, I had my pros and cons list. But at the end of the day, when it came to having an opportunity to be part of a diverse team, they were genuinely interested in mentoring me and helping me get from mid-level to senior because that's mm-hmm. like my professional goal right now yeah. is to move up right and right off the get-go I was told hey like you are like at the end cusp of mid and you are about to level up and like all you need is just a little bit more time and a little bit more mentorship and you can get there and my manager now at Brassline he's like I know that I, we can get you there in like a year or two but if you do really really good work who knows it could be quicker so to me that's what really gave me the confidence of knowing that Brassline was the company that I had to pick because that was so important to me and EA just didn't offer that to me, you know, Okay. like the benefits were great. The salary was great. I actually got lucky because I was able to counter brass line with EA salary. And I was like, hey, can you meet me in the middle here? And brass line ended up offering me a bit more than EA did. Came over the top. That's how much they wanted you. Yeah, that's how much they wanted Ooh. me. So that made me feel special, right? Yeah, feel bad. like, all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which EA team, what location would it have been? I would have gone to the new Full Circle Skate Team Ooh, out Vancouver. in Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. But they would have allowed me to work remotely from LA. So you were going to be making LA money. LA money. Ooh. Exactly. As I understand it, <laughs> LA pay is significantly higher than a lot of the other locations. But that's just because cost of living is so freaking it's, high. It's freaking you know? expensive. And those taxes are mm-hmm. no joke. And the property values yep. are ridiculous. And yeah. that's why you see the big differences in the salary. It's literally because you wouldn't be able to survive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just wouldn't. <laughs> I got a lot of people that were like, hey, John, you want to make a move to LA? We'll make it worth your while. And it doesn't work out. Like you can offer me a whole bunch of money and it just doesn't equal out for the quality of life that you can have in a lot of other places like Seattle not having a state tax, a lot of places in Canada, right? Your dollar goes a long way. And I don't see how you could have done it better is to be able to take <laughs> your two offers, let the teams know what they're dealing with, be, be transparent, be honest, be upfront, be like, hey, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm weighing between and let them make the call and show you their hand. Yes. Oh, that was wonderful. Hell yeah. That's exactly what I did. And I have to give a lot of credit where credit is due to Jean Leggett. Okay. Jean was the one who not only helped me with my portfolio and resume, but she really coached me when it came to interview time, like gave me links and resources to negotiate salary Mm -hmm. and just to build my confidence. She's like, you are a badass bitch and you need people to see that because you're like hiding that from people. So I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to do that. I'm going to ride that wave, you know, because I have accomplished a lot, even yes. though I'm technically a baby in the industry. I've only been around for like five years as a game designer. Or hey, so. you're over the hump, right? <laughs> five years is I like the, the drop off point. So she's like, you are a badass. You work really hard and you go out of your way to grow and be better at what you do. So let people see that. So, and that's exactly what I did last year in the beginning of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. I was taking courses like online and getting certified on like programming and like user experience and all this stuff. And the last thing that I did was get certified by Able Gamers for accessibility. I saw that. 
And to be honest with you, that changed the course of my job hunt because everybody was interested in the fact that I got certified in accessibility and that I cared about accessibility. And both EA and Brass Lion told me that that's what set me apart from the other candidates because mm. nobody had spoken about accessibility aside from me and nobody was as passionate about it as me. And that was something that they both really, really valued and they didn't have anybody on their teams who was trying to champion that in any way. I feel like that's what really sold me to both EA and Brass Lion. I feel like that's what really pushed them to extend an offer. Basically, at the end of the day, it's up to you to sell yourself. And it's so great when things come up that you're naturally passionate about, right? Because then that kind of overwhelms any group of people who are trying to get to know you and see if you can be a fit. When your passions come out, it becomes overwhelming and contagious, right? So the people that interview generally leave positively and, and kind of go back excited to be like, well, you know, this person, we got to bring her for the next round or to talk to the rest of the team to see if, you know, they feel the same way kind of thing. It was wild in EA because the full circle team is so small, I believe. Mm -hmm. The creative director himself, apparently, like after I got cleared, quote unquote, by HR, like yep. the first call. Yeah, that's like the, the phone screen. Yeah, apparently she liked me so much that she went to the director and he was like, okay, I want her to get interviewed for this specific and this specific thing, which weren't even things that I applied for. Mm. It was just like he really got convinced by the HR recruiter. Like she sold me really well. And he's like, all right, and like, let's try her out for this and this. And they loved me. But I think that my personality helps a lot because I'm so bubbly and I am very passionate about what I do. And I'm always have a smile on my face. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. It's it, it's like we say in Puerto Rico, se pega. You know, it just kind of mm -hmm. sticks. Like people remember that when they're in the call with you, when they talk to you. So I think the whole package of who I was as a person and what I was interested in and all of that, they just really vibed with it. And I don't know, it's special to me, right? Because I was told early in my career, like when I was in school, that I could not show my emotions. You know, that I had to be careful, like... That Latina fire that you have, you got to put that down because uh -huh. that makes people uncomfortable or that makes people think that you're not stable enough mm. to like have conversations and things like that. So I always saw my personality almost as like a hindrance mm. to me finding jobs and stuff, including like even my, my resume. Mm -hmm. Like in the beginning, I had like pink and all this stuff. Like I just wanted to be me. Oh, that's awesome. But I feel like that really hurt me in some ways because I never got callbacks. You think so. Yeah. And mm. as soon as I started changing my stuff to be modern, but have colors that were bold, not so much girly, uh -huh. okay, that's when things started to change. Interesting. That's a good call out, right? Because I would say specifically for game designers, resumes that stand out catch my eye, right? And those mm -hmm. are the ones that I read more, spend more time kind of going through versus yeah. the, you know, word template style. But, you know, to each their own, if you perceived it as being very girly, you know, the little bit that I've learned and touched on, and I can always learn more, is there's definitely these unconscious biases and people tend to have mm -hmm. an image in their head of the ideal candidate for the role, the type of right. person they're looking for, right? And so, yeah, the design of a resume can definitely conflict with the image you have in your head in whatever crazy way, right? As, as stupid as it is. So that's interesting because you have actual experience saying that, yo, I had it this way and I changed it up. And it got me results. Exactly. 100%. Mm -hmm. I just feel like there are moments to like be like super girly. And then there are moments to just like be laid back. But like you won't catch me even when I was in the studio before COVID. You would catch me like wearing nice clothes, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I wasn't trying to, like, come in in sweats or my hair not brushed or things like that. Like, I always try to look fly as oh, much yeah. as I could. Oh, yeah. And that's not for anybody else, but it was for me just because I, I like that. I, I value that, you know? Yeah. Like, dressing nice, looking nice, smelling good, right? Oh, yeah. There's that stigma in the industry where people just don't smell good. You don't have the good hygiene. Yeah, I man. ain't trying to Bring do that. that <laughs> Bring your best self to kind of raise your team up. I'm all about that, man. Like, do what makes you feel good and comfortable. And at the same time, you know, you can definitely say that it's like, oh, it's not about how you look. It's about how good you are at your job or whatever. But there is a little bit of if I see a person that I respect their fashion sense, their look or whatever, I generally gravitate towards collaborating with that person or wanting to work with that person as mm. opposed to to not. Right. Like, again, I'm an animal evolution and my, my <laughs> lizard brain, right? These are just the things that I grew up with. My family really kind of put a lot of value towards looking good, smelling good, dressing good, you know, speaking well, things like this. And so right. that sticks with you. 100. For better or for worse. Yep. Mm-hmm. And my family was the exact same way. Mm-hmm. It's just like something that I, I valued because I saw it in my home. Like I saw my mom like that. I even saw my dad. Like my dad is like classy. <laughs> if you would see them, like my dad will observe what my mom wears and he will coordinate his outfit with hers without telling her. Oh, it's beautiful. so cute. It's so <laughs> cute. But it's like one of those things where like he wants to look good for her and vice versa. And that's just so sweet. Hell yeah. <laughs> I grew up in that. So therefore, like I saw that and like I just behave that way and I do the exact same thing. I haven't shared it on here yet, but I'll share that my first interviews, you know, way 2006, 2007, around there. I was still in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It made you feel old. It's all good. It's all good that, you know, being a senior, you know, comes with a little bit of age and experience and wisdom and having seen some things. All good. I totally had slacks, dress shoes, a button shirt, and a tie. And to this day, the whole team that I work with at Midway makes fun of me. And I was like, yo, John, <laughs> you stood out like a sore thumb. We definitely wasn't even going to give you a chance dressed like that. Like, That's this is the funny. game industry. And they thought I was much older than what I was, actually, right? So mind you, I'm mm-hmm. like early 20s, no experience trying to get a job with these awesome game developers. And they were like, yeah, we thought you were like 30-something the way you were dressed, bro. Oh like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know if it's the case these days, but there's a thing, depending on who you talk to, where it's like dress accordingly to the job role. That's true. I actually, in all the interviews that I had prior to COVID and even during COVID, because I was on Zoom calls and stuff, I don't think I ever dressed up like that ever. Like I always had jeans and like a nice shirt, you know? This is the industry uniform. Yeah, exactly. You could still be fly about it. Yes. You know what I'm saying? It's definitely a line. You're a game designer at Brass Lion. Mm -hmm. What are you in charge of? What are you responsible for? Is it a specific area of the game design? Or is it like the whole game design? Let me see if I can walk through safe spaces with this NDA. (laughs) So for sure, I can say that I'm doing gameplay design. Okay. So there's a lot of things that I'm doing that are much player focused. What is the player going to do in this area? What are they going to see? What can they interact with? What can't they do? Mm-hmm. So I'm a- trying to answer a lot of those questions for specific areas in the game. Okay. And it's interesting because in the game that we're working on right now, it's a MMORPG. Oh. So it's a really 
big game. Yeah, it's very, very big. And I'm working with a team that is full of veterans from like Crystal Dynamics, EA, BioWare, Ubisoft, like you name it. Like we have industry veterans who have like 10, 15 years on me and they are smart and they know so much. And I'm just trying to be as much of a sponge as I can, just Mm -hmm. learning from them. Even just hearing them speak and analyze things in meetings and stuff has been really helpful for me because I come from the indie world. So I've worked on indie games for my entire career so far and our projects are such a smaller scale. And when I was at E-Line, the type of gameplay design that I was doing was very, I don't want to say simple because every game can be very complicated no matter how, how simple it may look. But definitely it didn't have as many moving parts as what I'm working on now. So I feel like it grabs all types of creative spaces in my brain where I do need to be very methodological and like think of things very carefully with Mm -hmm. understanding what the boundaries are, what the potential like case scenarios may be Mm -hmm. or things like that, like at a much more elevated level than Mm -hmm. what I used to, right? So let's talk about like user experience, even accessibility, which is something that I'm very fortunate to be able to start talking about with my team from the get-go, like yeah, you're from the expert. concept phase. Yeah. Mm. So which is really, really great because it means that whatever features we decide to add, it'll feel organic because we thought about them in tandem with the rest of the gameplay design. We didn't add it as an afterthought later. Yes. But understanding what problems can arise from that and what types of issues are going to come about what type of like constraints whether it be technical constraints or just production constraints Mm -hmm. all of those things like I have to think about all of that holistically Mm -hmm. when I'm presenting an idea and I have never had to do that ever it's a lot of work and I feel like it's a lot of responsibility I want to make sure that my team knows that I'm invested in this and I want to make the best decision I don't care if it's my design or the creative director design, the artist design, whoever. I don't care as long as it works for what we're trying to do. But it has definitely been challenging, the gameplay design of it all, literally coming up with ideas from the ground up because we're building something from nothing. There's no franchise. It's literally an original project. And the creative director has a direction, right? And Mm -hmm. they know... Perhaps what are some things that they're really interested and passionate about, but I need to come up with the fill. Like they gave me the start and the end. What's everything in between? I need to fill all of that. And that can be very overwhelming and challenging. It's super interesting to hear you talk about going from a smaller team, smaller scale type of project to what I would say the extreme opposite end deep, deep, deep ocean waters of MMORPGs, right? Like even people who've worked on AAA open world games, MMOs are massive in scale and scope, yep. right? In the fact that they're a live game, it has no end in sight, right? And then yep. you're trying to cater to the biggest market, especially the market, right? The MMO market, there's like three or four key players that you want to take a slice of. So that's a huge challenge you guys have ahead of you. And and mm-hmm. I think you're going to learn so much, Elaine. It's going to be yes. amazing who you become in a year from now, s- surrounded by all those veterans, but they also kind of give you the space and brought you on for your expertise and your vision to bring to that to the table, right? I think that's amazing. That's an amazing formula for success you have on that team. 
Yes, thank you. And mm-hmm. and actually, everybody's invested. Like, not only my manager, that he told me, like, he's like, I want to have one-on-one meetings with you bi-weekly. Let's get you where you want to be and let's mm-hmm. shape you. Let's figure out what's working, what's not working, what you need, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses. He saw that I also had a passion for, like, other forms of design. And there are other designers who have a little bit of expertise in other design areas. Mm-hmm. Earlier this week, he was like, hey, Elaine, I know that you're interested in expanding your design perspective and sensibilities and there's this other designer on the team who wants to mentor so here you guys go together like figure out a like a meeting time so that you all can learn from each other so I was like dope so I now I have like two mentors essentially my manager and another designer who's like t- just taking his time to like just talk about stuff with me which is really really nice your manager is actually following through on what he told you right that he's very interested in grooming you and helping you grow and help you get to the next level and he's showing you that by pairing you with the people that are doing the things you've shown interest in. Yep. And I mean, that's that's just business sense done being, right? Like the mm-hmm. better you make your team, the better your product will be at the end of the day, for sure, right. by like fostering your talent. I love mm-hmm. what you said because it's something that took me longer to learn than the time that it took you to learn it. And it's <laughs> that it's not about your idea or my idea being the idea. It's about the best idea to make the best game that delivers on the vision and the goal we're trying to hit, right? I think that's so insightful and ahead of the game, a perspective to have and to share with every developer out there, right? Like the beauty of what we do is that we bring in a lot of people around the table and games are really a recipe due to a lot of chefs. There's definitely people that are so insistent on this is my thing and this is the way it's got to be. And, and, why don't you like my thing? And it, and it's mm-hmm. never meant to be personal, right? It, it's right. it's meant to be about the best end user experience. 100%. Something that I have learned that I bring with me from my personal life is that it doesn't matter where I am, whether, because mm-hmm. I, I, I used to work retail when I was younger or working in like an office, like a dental office, even being like a teaching assistant in college and even now in, in my team at a game studio, the skill sets that have transferred has always been the people skills. The soft skills, yeah. It's always about, can I read somebody? I can tell by somebody's face and the way that they're talking if they're upset. And it happened to me earlier this week with one of our producers. She got a little bit frustrated in one of our calls. And afterwards, I just messaged her on Slack and I was like, hey, I noticed that you got a little frustrated. Like, I'm here for you. Like, if you want to talk, like, and I wanted to check in on you. You know, and I'm just a designer. I'm not a producer. I'm not a C-level person, but I genuinely care about people. And I think that definitely comes from my Latinidad. Like, that's 100% Puerto Rican. Like, I just love people and I love talking to people and I love getting to know people. Mm-hmm. And that level of personal where it's like, you are my coworker. You don't have to be my friend, but I see you as a human being. I see your interests. I see your dislikes. I see your vocabulary, your mannerisms, your experience. And I want to treat you like you would like to be treated, right? With yeah. respect, with value. And I always go beyond just like, oh, this is my team members. Like, no, this is John, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I know who they are. I know what they like. I can feel comfortable going out for a walk with them, going out to lunch with them. We can talk about life. And at lunchtime, we don't have to just talk about work. We can be like, yeah, I was watching this show. Like, I really like it. Like, do you have any recommendations for me? And I can enter and say the same thing. Like, I feel like that's what makes the team. Mm-hmm. And 
when you feel comfortable and you feel valued and you feel seen, you do good work together. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because you know that no matter what's going to happen in the meeting, I got your back. If somebody doesn't understand what you're saying, I could be like, no, no, you know what? I think that John's idea is valid, Mm -hmm. even though it may have X and Y, Z concerns, we can still try to weave it in this other way, right? And I could literally collaborate with you in your ideas because my ideas and my designs are not any better than anybody else on the team. Like, we're literally all in it together. Yeah. If any of us were to fall out for whatever reason, we would be missing an integral piece into the project. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's why one of the reasons why I have a love-hate relationship with Hideo Kojima, because he's like that. He's like, nah, it's all me. This is my game. I designed it. I programmed it. I did everything for it. Like, and it's just like, bro, like without your team, your game wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. Literally, I couldn't design by myself. Like my designs are good because my team gave me feedback and they helped me get it to that state. I learned that from like being little and just like relationships, friendships, like doing stuff at home. Like we were always very communal. Like my parents are like, we are a a group. This house is not clean if we don't all pour our part. Literally, I was brought up like that. So my mom wasn't the only one that cleaned. It was my mom, my dad, me, and my brothers. Everybody had their chores and their special things that they needed to do to keep the house stable and clean and beautiful, right? So it's like the same way that I think about being on a game team. Like I do my part and I bring something to the table, but it is nothing if everybody else doesn't bring their stuff to the table. You know what I mean? And then that way we complete the whole pie, right? You're only as good as the weakest link, they say, right? Like Exactly, right? Exactly. These are skills that aren't typically taught in school, right? You can make right. the argument that you can't teach these skills, and they often do come from your upbringing, your experiences in life, your opportunities working other jobs. You build these up. It's a shame, too, because these are typically not things that people write on a resume that you can go, oh, I'm a great people person. I got the soft skills, right? Like, you don't really get to call that out. It, it has to kind of come across in your interview style right. or the stories you tell. And mm-hmm. I think there's key positions that are really crucial to have these roles. So any role that you're a people manager, a producer, I, I would say, you know, I'm biased, but I'll say for game designers who play this critical glue between the creative the vision of the game and también being that team builder, right? That that kind of facilitates the creative contribution from everybody and everywhere, right? To be like, yo, I, yeah, I, my title is designer, but I want to hear your ideas. I want your feedback. I want right. you to let me know how this is working. Ultimately, building those bridges and fostering that communication. So everything you got adds on to that package as a designer, it's not easy. It's not easy being personable and like putting yourself out there, saying good morning every every stand up. You know what I mean? Hello. Like good morning, but it's like, bitch, don't talk to me. Like I'm just trying to like get through my day. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? Yep. But when it becomes a habit, then people start remember. Oh, Elaine didn't say good morning today. Like I wonder uh, if she's what? okay. Does that happen? Yes, it has happened before. One time at work at E-Line, I didn't wear makeup and several people messaged me on Slack and they're like, bro, are you all right? Oh my like, God, are you going okay? On? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I was just like, I just woke up late. <laughs> I didn't have time to do my face. 
How but it's feel? it's nice. It's nice that people observe you in mm-hmm. the same way that you observe them. Mm-hmm. And because you care and because you put in that effort, like people see that and they will reciprocate. I have never had an instance where somebody has not reciprocated my effort into at least just being kind. Work tends to be passionate, opinionated job that we have. Yes. And, you know, discussions are going to get heated and people mm-hmm. are going to get defensive whenever it's their baby or their thing or their idea. But for the most part, you can always fall back to be like, hey, we're like this because we care about the thing. It's nothing personal. <laughs> Curious if you've fallen into any of these situations on the job. Have you had the benefit of working with experienced people, newer people, temperamental people? What types of dynamics have you seen? I've definitely worked with all of the above. Okay. I know what it's like to have a manager who is just an asshole. Oh, and my goodness. he wants to throw you under the bus. He wants to make you feel like you're nothing. I've had that happen to me to the point where like I had to go to therapy because this person had crossed a line. Mm. And, you know, as a woman in games, you know, it gets a little bit even more elevated because people, for whatever reason, feel like they are entitled to speak to me a certain way that I know that a guy designer would not have been spoken to in that way. Meaning like in a in a talking down type of thing? Very talking down type of way. Like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. Oh, get out of here. Something like this. This happened to me. One of my managers at a studio that I was at, he straight up told me, if you think that you can design better than me, you're sadly mistaken. Wow. Even though I was like, bro, like I have a master's in game design. I know that I can design better than you because I have the fundamentals mm-hmm. that you do not. But I wasn't, I can't say that to an executive yeah. when I got fired. It sounds like insecurity was coming out. Like he felt threatened. Like oh, he yeah. had to kind of say something out of his face. Yeah, 100%. And that's the same manager who like literally like destroyed my self-esteem. Like he would ask me like, where would you want to be in five to 10 years? You know, very basic question. Yeah. And I told him, you know, I want to be a creative director. That's like my goal. And he literally laughed at me. He laughed at me. and was just like, you don't have what it takes to be wow. a creative director. Like, good luck doing that. And by this time you were like how many years into the job, into the industry? About two years or so. That's ridiculous. Two, three years. But this person crossed the line. They really, really did. And they broke me. It broke my spirit because I was so passionate and driven. I've always been that way. Mm -hmm. But everything that I would do, he would just criticize and like break down. He would tell me to rewrite stuff. There was a time where he got so mad at me because I didn't do things to the T that he wanted me to Mm -hmm. do it. And he he literally brought me to his office, locked the door behind me, and was just laying it out on me. Like, um, when I'm telling you this person's veins were popping out of his neck and his forehead, and he's red in the face. He yeah. was like, you're incompetent. Oh you're God. incoherent. You don't know what you're doing. The only reason you have this job is because of me. As easily as I brought you in, I can take you out. And if you think you're going to be anybody at the studio, think again. That is not okay. I was not okay. And it got worse, John, because after he yelled at me like that, and I was like teary-eyed. Imagine somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a frustration too, I bet, right? Yes. Like anger. Yes. You want to uppercut the dude. Yeah. And it was like, I felt like it was so unnecessary and so unprofessional. Claro. And especially because he closed the door behind him, right? Mm-hmm. So nobody could hear. My eyes started watering because, hello, it was like 10 a.m. in the morning. Just starting your day. I was supposed to go in a design meeting right after that talk. And... I kid you not, when he saw me getting watery-eyed after he was done yelling at me, like screaming, yelling at me, 
John Hughes like, and I'm telling you all these things because I love you. And I was just <laughs> oh, like, wow, motherfucker, what? <laughs> I was like, excuse me. <laughs> oh yeah, but then a lot of things start making sense because my guy had like been asking me like shit about my relationships, like why are you dating this guy? Like you deserve better than that, and like uh... they started making sense, started piecing together. And I was like, but bro, you're like you're married, you have a child, like you have all this stuff. Like this is so bad. Appropriate. And it took me six months because I was so scared. I was scared to lose my job. And I couldn't lose my job because I needed the income. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it took me six months to like muster up the courage and be like, all right, no, I'm going to go to my creative director. I'm going to go to my producer and I'm going to tell them what happened mm-hmm. because I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe here with God, this person working. That's with a this long guy. time to tough it out, man. Yeah, I would literally drive to work crying. I was just like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And I would just like cry on my way to work and just like pull myself up, take a deep breath and walk in through that door. It, this was pre-COVID, right? But sure, sure, it was sure. so, so hard. And anytime this person talked down to me in meetings with other people, nobody would say anything. Nobody. Everybody would stay quiet. Even when our producer was like a woman, like she didn't even say anything. And I was just like, nobody's going to stand up for me to this dude. Nobody has your back. Yeah. And it wasn't only that. Finally, when I was able to speak up and talk about it with my director and stuff, they moved me from him. So he no longer was my manager. The CEO became my manager. So things became a little bit better for me. As a result of you speaking up. Yes. But even then I had a one-on-one with the CEO and he like snickered him. He's like, I'm not going to fire him. Like he's a C-level. Like he's been at this company for X amount of time. Like I'm not going to fire him. And I was like, all right, well, he's going to keep treating people like this because no boundaries have been placed and Uh he hasn't been like spoken to or whatever. But not my problem. They moved me to somebody else. But then again, they hired a new person that treated me the exact same way. To be a manager? Yeah. A new manager, a new manager guy, and he would like talk down to me in meetings. He'll be like, well, what do you want this to be? You want this to continue the same that it was? Is that what you want? Like he would talk to me like that. And again, nobody would say anything. And another woman in the room wouldn't say anything. So at that point I was like, you know what? I can't be here anymore. Get out of there. I need to get out of there. But it was, I I was really suffering in silence. No, that's insane. Like, I mean, that's a long time. And what's easily apparent just from your stories is that it's ingrained in the culture, in the people that they hire, in the way that things are okay and let slip under the rug. And these are places that I don't know how they survive. I don't know how they succeed and how they continue to bring people on, right? Like, I I feel like these types of places are the types of places that bleed good talent and just kind of keep the people that can't get work other places. That's exactly what happened because within the span of like a year, half of the studio is gone. Because who wants to be treated like that and go into an environment that's so hostile and tense? Mm -hmm. It's not fun to work anymore. It's like you are literally literally trying to survive until you clock out and it's just like (laughs) i don't want it it's so heartbreaking because it doesn't have to be that way not at all you know what i mean if you were just to correct people's behavior everything would work out and it would be fine but it's the lack of initiative to correct people and to make things right and to make sure that your team feels valued and they feel respected you know and that they have what they need Yeah, it doesn't take much. It's one of those things where it just takes one person Mm -hmm. to stand up and speak up 
Right. And that's all it is, right? That goes back to being an ally for our teammates, for one another, because odds are everybody has that little, that little pinch in their chest or kind of behind their neck, you know, like, oh, you know, I wouldn't like that if it was me. And that's kind of the fucking cue to stand up and say something in the moment properly, respectfully as possible, right? Like yeah. it doesn't have to be anything other than like, that's not okay. Or, hey guys, let's take a break. Right. Like, or, right. hey, person that's flipping out, screaming, being disrespectful, you need to take a break, step outside. Right. And, and, and that's not going to feel good and it might fuel mm -hmm. the fire, but I bet you after a couple of times, somebody's going to get it right. It's going to sink in and be like, damn, and I'm missing out on a lot of key discussions or meetings of people don't want to talk to me or people don't want to bring me any of the ideas. I'm saying this shit all idealistically. <laughs> But yeah. I know for a fact there's dumb, hard-headed motherfuckers that, that are like, oh, yeah, this is the way it is, and I'm always right. There are dudes like that, and they will not change. And I'm not here to change people and mm. tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. But, like, you going to respect me, or we're going to see what happens. Because <laughs> I'm not going to be nobody's doormat either. That's not why I'm working and why I'm here. You know what I mean? I've had to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with dudes. Mm -hmm. um, where I was like, hey, like you talked down to me and that made me upset. That was disrespectful. And I would appreciate if you didn't do that again because I don't talk to you like that. Mm -hmm. And we're a team. We're supposed to like build each other up, not treat each other like this. How does that land? How does it help that give For the most part, everybody's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I had no idea that you took it that way. Or, oh, like, my bad. Like, I'm just really frustrated and I took it out on you. My apologies. Nice. It's like, okay, pero yo no soy tu novia. Like, don't uh, take the shit out on me. Like, I'm not your mama. Like, yeah. I'm your coworker. You know what I mean? But when I became friends with some of the my coworkers, like, I would be honest, like, 100. I was like, you need to fix your shit. And I would say things like, and, you know, you question why you're not in a relationship, why girls don't want to talk to you it's because you're like this why would anybody want to be with somebody who's constantly putting people down who's constantly negative seeing the bad in everything like literally like take a look at yourself in the mirror and be like what about me is it that is not attractive to other people and then maybe you could find a girl like it'd it be like that i i was like that personal it's like blunt and like sure sometimes i, I may have offended people but they always are like you know what elaine as rough as you were and as much tough love as you gave me, like you were right. And nobody has spoken to me like that before. Nobody has told me that before. And I was like, yeah, because I legit care about you. Mm -hmm. And when you care about somebody, whether it's a friend, coworker, whatever, you want the best for them. Like, I don't want any harm to come to my coworkers or anybody that I care about, but I'm going to challenge you to be better if I see something that's not right. Yeah. Or that I know that you can get better at because it's it's achievable. It's not impossible. It's not impossible to be kind to people, mindful or respectful. Like, yeah, like you said, it's like some people are just born that way. They have the innate ability to just read people and they can read the room and they know what to say. And, you know, they're a people person. Some people are not like that. But you can be like, you know what? You need to understand people's body language. Like, how is their face? How are they expressing themselves? What's the vocabulary that they're using? And use that in order to talk to them. Like, learn how to communicate. Like, that's such an important, like, it's a key to anything. Like, for our work, for our relationships, our personal life. I don't care what it is. Like, communication is key. And if you cannot express yourself, if you don't know how to identify how you feel so that you can tell the other person what's up, then, you know, take time to do that because it's so important and it really changes 
everything in your life. It really, really does. When people know exactly what it is that you have on your mind, you're like, all right, you know, even if you need to take a day, if you need to take a week, do whatever you need to do, but communicate with whoever you need to communicate. And that's helped me a lot. And I learned that very hard way, you know, waiting six months to communicate that I felt trapped. That's too long. Right. Or like being in a relationship for six months, six years, even though I knew that it was toxic because I didn't want to let them go and I didn't want to be alone. And I couldn't communicate the fact that I was hurt and needed to bounce. You know what I mean? Like all of that is all interconnected. Like who we come at the game studio, who, who we bring is the exact same people that who we are in like in our houses, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm not I'm going I'm not two faced that but that's just me, right? Like yeah. I'm not a certain type of way with like my friends and my family. And then all of a sudden I'm a different Elaine when I come into my studio. Like I'm the same person. But the emotions and the things that I have going on sometimes in my life, I bring that into the studio because I cannot separate that, right? Mm -hmm. So if I am sad because my grandmother is dying, like, I'm going to try my best to put a smile on my face, but... That means some days I'm just going to be a little apagadita. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I'm not going to be smiley and like everything's fine. Like I'm going to be sad. Like, But at least if people can read that, yeah. be like, yo, Elaine, should we have a meeting right now? Like, are you good? Like, do you need some time? Do you need to take the day off? Feel free to do that. When people see you and like, and you can communicate that, like it just makes your life so much easier. Absolutely. It really, really does. And like, I, I, drive a, I live a drama-free life. Amen. And I'm so, so happy for that. But Amen. it's because I have learned to communicate and identify what are things that are not good for me. You know, what are things that might bear me down? Like this person, maybe I love them so much, but they bring too much drama. So like, I create a little bit of distance. And then I'll be like, you know, I love you and I care about you. But like, don't dump your problems on me because that hurts me. So, you know, stay away. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. But that's, it's hard and it takes a lot of growing up to be able to do that. And not everybody can do that. But you have people like me. I can be your friend and I can help you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Gotta help everybody. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, you seem like a wonderful person to have on the team for sure. And oh, thank you. There's for sure people that might take advantage of it or might cross the boundaries. And it seems like you've gotten to the point now where you can spot that, recognize it and establish those boundaries and reaffirm to be like, Hey, thank we thou. Let's have a conversation, not again kind of situation. I've worked with a bunch of people in executive roles that are the best at reading people, but what they are good at is asking questions. And so that that kind of makes up for their lack of being able to read faces or catch tone or assess body language, right? Is to just be like, does this make sense? How did that feel? Hey, I'm not sure. I'm unsure of how that landed, how that came across please let me know kind of thing, right? So if you fall into that category of like, I don't really know how to read body language of people, you know, then be more inquisitive, right? Take a pause and ask what's going on in the room, what's going on with people. I love that. I love, especially on Zoom, you know, when it's silent, no one's saying anything, ask, ask, right? Like, hey, person in the top left corner of the screen, what do you think about this, right? Or like, right. does this make sense? I'm talking too much right now. That's all it is, right? Like you, you, you don't have to be skilled or strong to ask questions. Right. Mm. And even if you feel afraid to ask questions, right? Like, Which happens. 
Yeah, which happens. We live in an age where there's so much information on the internet that I'm sure you can go to YouTube right now and be like, top tips for like conflict resolution. Oh, right? Yeah. And you can watch a video on like, what are the things that you should do if you see somebody like arguing in your, in your meeting and you want to you know, help diffuse the situation. You know what I mean? Or even if it's like, you know, there's like me, like somebody has harassed you or like you really feel trapped. Like there, I know there's information out there on like what to do. Who can you go to? What is the process? Even if it's legal, what is the process that you need to go through in order to make sure that you get justice for what happened? There's a lot of information out there. So even if you're afraid and you don't know what to ask, Look it up and inform yourself, educate yourself because knowledge is power. And even if you can't put it into practice, you never know if there's somebody in your life who's going to need those skills or that knowledge and Mm. you can share it. On the job, right? Like you hopefully have access to HR that you can approach with whatever is going on professionally at the office. You know, if your manager is not a resource you can go to or your manager's manager, there's usually HR. And like you said, right? Like if, if you don't have friends and the culture is overwhelmingly in a direction that is making you worse at your job, less bubbly than you naturally normally are in your day to day, then reach out to us because both of our teams are always hiring for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've done so much in what I, what I think is, like you said, your mid-level five years. I think you got so much ahead of you coming up, so many big things, but you've already accomplished a ton of things. In particular, I'm super excited for what you have helped to create in Latinx in gaming, because this was a big void that existed when I was coming up and coming in the industry. And there is now a space for us. Yes. Tell me more about how this came to be and your involvement in it. To be honest, I always give credit to Christina Maya. She's our president and the one who really did her homework, to be honest, and tried to reach out to people like me. And she's like, hey, I identified you as somebody who like is really passionate about the community. Do you want to start something? And it literally was just a simple meeting between a few people, like a handful of people. And we're like, what can we do to help our community? Because there is nothing out there. And we want to have something, even if that means we need to do it. You know what I mean? Because it's going to be work. It's like realizing, okay, like we need time now. We need perhaps to put in our own money to create some things. Are we willing to make that sacrifice? But I said yes, and it happened at GDC, the Game Developers Conference, in 2017. That's where I met Christina, and at the time she was working at Twitch, so she invited me to Twitch, and like I had food there, and the office was insane. Like they have like snacks. Twitch San Francisco. Yes, yep. San Francisco. It's it like a New York so cool. City loft feel. Yes, so it was so cool, and it was just nice to talk to her about you know her passion, her desires, and what she wanted. It used to be called Latinx in Games. And I was like, you know what, whatever you need, I'm here. Like, I just want to help in whatever way I can be useful. Like, just let me know. 
And I became a staff of Latinx and Games that slowly started morphing into Latinx and Gaming, which is the name that we adopted. We like rebranded, we got a website and like all that cool stuff. And then we started not only meeting once a year at GDC, because that's really where it started. It was the Latinx and Games IGDA chapter. Mm. That's how we started. So it was like we were a SIG in the IGDA. And we decided that we could do a little bit more by just becoming a nonprofit, right? Because that way it's easier for companies to sponsor financially when it's a nonprofit for tax reasons. It looks good for them or whatever, mm. right? So that's what we decided to do. So it took a few years to get there, right? So we were working really hard to try to be part of conferences and conventions and things like that. But we realized that we could do a lot more if we just had a community online because the reality was that there's people all over the world who just cannot attend conferences and conventions in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's a financial feat, right? Imagine like an indie team from like Colombia trying to come to GDC. Like we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Flight alone. So if we can figure out how to create a hub online where indie developers or industry professionals from around Latino America or or the Caribbean can be a part of where they can post their games, post their projects, their streams, whatever it may be, maybe that would be better. So we decided to do that and we put up a discord and really after we put up a discord, we like accelerated, we like boomed. We got partnered on discord like overnight almost because Christina ended up working on Discord within that time frame. So we got partnered there because she worked at Twitch. Like she had connections to get us partnered for Twitch as well. So we just started getting like all these essentially little check marks, right? Across the board and different social medias. And then it really wasn't until we put up Unidos online last year, which was our Hispanic Heritage Month celebration on Twitch. Yes, it really wasn't until then that people saw us and they were like, wow, like, who's Latinx and gaming? They seem like they're popping. They seem like they're doing something. And uh, we started getting seen by a lot of more studios, a lot of more people. And we started getting a lot more love. But with a lot of love also came a little bit of hate, right? Because you have the trolls who are like, Latinx isn't a word, blah, blah, blah. Yep. You try to be inclusive, man. That's all. Exactly. So we're still dealing with that, right? But... I think Unidos Online really was a game changer for us. And then that's when like the article started being published and the awards started coming in where the game awards reached out to Christine. And they're like, hey, we want to do a piece. We want to award you. That was awesome. Can I tell you? <laughs> I think by then I had already done the panel with you and I love the game awards. I love what it's become. It ends up being a lot of announcements and trailers and sneak yep. peeks. <laughs> yeah. But still, I love seeing the homies on there and seeing you guys get featured was amazing. It was amazing, amazing, amazing. It was so wonderful to see you guys recognize on that stage to let people know. Because again, I I don't know. I don't even remember how I found out about it. I was so happy that I did. And I think it was through the Discord. It was completely like, oh, my God, where has this been my entire career? Right. I'm so happy I found it. You know, a lot of people tell us that same thing. They're like, I'm so happy that we have familia now. Like we, I didn't know that y'all existed. I'm so happy that you do. And that makes us feel special because with any organization, any group that you try to build, when you start it, it's really hard Mm -hmm. and you get really discouraged. Yeah, you get really discouraged because in the beginning, you're like, you know, we're putting all this effort and energy 
where is everybody? Like, why aren't people turning up? Why aren't people supporting us? I got food. I got games. Where is everybody? Exactly. And it wasn't until we started getting awards and accolades that people started to take notice. And when I mean people, I mean like studios and companies. <laughs> sure, sure. People that can get their brand on, get money. People that we would have, we reached out prior and didn't give us a time of day. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey guys. They're like, okay. Well, we'll gladly like partner with you. But in the inside, it's just like, you know, it's a little bit hurtful that we didn't matter. Elaine, I wanted to say that seeing representations, making people aware of who's in the space, doing the job they want to do, that it can look like you, me, it can be from any, it's much more open and much more accessible. I can count on one hand the number of non-male designers that I've worked with. And I can't recall a Hispanic woman designer that I've worked with. It doesn't exist. I would have thought before I met you that it didn't exist. So it's so awesome that the unicorn has been caught. <laughs> and as a result of that, I've gotten to meet so many more, right? Through Latinx and gaming, through your connections. And I want to call this out because I have a lot of nieces and nephews out there that I want them to see that, you know, they're, they're half Boricua, half Dominican, where my sister-in-law is Puerto Rican. Uh, shout out to Gianna. Shout out. If this is something they want to do, that you have someone, you know, living proof embodiment of coming from similar upbringings to mm -hmm. be like, hey, this is a viable and lucrative career path. Yes. They can make a good living out of it, but they got to hustle. It's not going to be easy. It's not yeah, going to be gonna given be to easy. Them. And that's like anything in life, right? Like I always, I tell people my story, which is, when I was getting ready for college, mm -hmm. games wasn't even in my radar. Wow. Nope. This came to be when I was about 23 years old. I was a junior in college and I had to decide what major to officially declare. <laughs> you were undeclared. The reason why I was undeclared was because even though I wanted to pursue biomedical engineering and pre-med, like mm. I, I had my eyes and my heart set on that when I started college, I didn't get into the school of engineering because my SAT math scores were not high enough. So what I did instead was I went to college undeclared and prepping for a transfer to the School of Engineering. So I started to take all of those prereqs that you needed. But in doing all of that, that's when I decided I was like, I am do not want to be a doctor. This is not for me. And I had to have that big conversation with my parents. Was it all those was, sciences and biology and all it that? It was the the upper level math. So after calculus two, it was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but that's so much in games, man. There's a lot of trig and vector math and Yeah, physics. when you're a programmer. <laughs> I don't need to know any of that True. yet. <laughs> True. I mean, it's helpful to understand certain things, but mm -hmm. never have I once had to do any type of trig or calculus. I'm in there right now, girl. Like when we, when before we got linked up, my head was like in some nasty rotation. And why isn't the guy looking at the guy? Que diablo, you know? And so I was super <laughs> happy. that I was like, yo, it's podcast time. I'm a log off. I'm a sign off. I'm gonna get a beer. We're going to de-stress, unwind, and I'll come back to it with a clear head tomorrow. That's funny. And maybe reach out to some programmer buddies, right? To be like, yo, what the fuck is up with this vector right here? That's what's great about game development. It's like when you have a weakness, there's somebody who always has a strength. Yes. Or her strength. So you can just go to them. They're the expert. Yes. And they can help you out. Ask for help quick, fast, right? And we have the, yes. what is it called? I don't know. I always change the number every time I say it, but it's like a the 10-minute rule, right? Like, 
If it's taking you longer than 10 minutes to figure out a plan or a strategy and you honestly read and try to brush up on it and Google some things and verse yourself, if it's going to save you an hour and it's going to take someone else 10 minutes, go over and ask yep. the person for help. Yeah. I learned to do that the hard way as well. <laughs> you seem so... I was like, I'm a strong, independent woman. Yes. I can figure this out myself. But that's like, nah, I don't, I can't do this. <laughs> Where does that come from out of curiosity, right? This like headstrong, like I don't need no help. I could do it all myself kind of thing. That came from when I was little. Mm. So when I was three years old, I contracted some bacterial infection from something. I don't know. Uh They never found out. I didn't like. Yes. So what it ended up happening was that. I went into like septic shock, which means all my organs started shutting down. This is all secondhand information that my parents have given me because I was so little. I don't really remember what happened. But my mom was like, yeah, you were your fever would go up to like 105, 106. And when we brought you to the hospital, like they had to dunk you in ice and water to bring your temperature down because you were not responding to medication. You were not responding to anything. They had to put me on like breathing machine and everything. I couldn't Mm -hmm. breathe on my own. I couldn't eat. And this all happened. I was three years old. So what ended up happening was that this bacteria, whatever it was, it started creating sepsis in my hands and my feet, which means like not only that, it was it was sepsis and gangrene. Oh, yeah. So all the oxygen supplied to like my hands and my feet were getting cut off. The blood circulation was not flowing. Therefore, I started developing gangrene, which is the death of tissue, right? Essentially, was that I got gangrene to my elbows and my knees. So the doctors are ready to literally amputate my arms and my legs. How are you going to make games without your arms? Seriously, right? So apparently this is like a really mutated, very rare bacteria. They sent my blood and like tissue cultures to the best children's hospital in the world, which at the time was in Atlanta, Atlanta Children's Hospital. And they did tests over there and they couldn't figure out what the hell is going on. Essentially, the doctors told my parents to brace themselves. They're like, she's going to die. Get ready for her funeral. Figure out what you're going to do. All we can do is just wait because antibiotics are not working. No treatments are working for her. And my parents are like, all right, well, all we can do is pray. So that's what they did. They were just praying. And one of the doctors had this brilliant idea. He's like, listen, I've been taking these new courses at medical school where they're indigenous oils that they are working on, just indigenous medicine. And they're like, let's try it. I'm not going to guarantee it. I have no idea if it's going to do anything, but let's try it to see if we can improve Elaine's blood circulation so that we can minimize amputating her arms and legs and maybe we can amputate less. So they did that for a little while. And then my mom and the nurses literally would rub these like indigenous like oil mixes with herbs and stuff. You got to be some CBD in there, I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) It was like arms and legs and it was constant. But with that came also scraping the dead skin off because gangrene, it dries everything up. It shrivels, right? Yeah. So if you're trying to improve blood circulation, you also have to remove whatever dead skin is coming. And apparently my mom told me that that was very painful for me and I would cry. And the the nurses would not touch me. They didn't want to see me crying in pain. So my mom, not being a nurse or anything like that, she would be scrubbing it and like to the point where I would bleed, right? To remove all this stuff. Anyway, 
Long story short, the oils, indigenous oil concoctions worked. The prayers worked. And they only had to amputate like the very tips of my fingers and some of my toes instead of like my full arm, like half arm and half leg. Wow. So since that, right, I had to go through physical therapy Mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. But I have amputations, right? And one of the things that my pediatricians told my mom was like, do you think that Elaine's handicapped? And my mom said, no. She's like, Elaine will only be handicapped and dependent if you make her that way. So allow her to learn how to tie her shoes, how to button up her shirts, how to read, how to write. Allow her to do that on her own so that she can be independent. That's where the independent came from because my parents, my parents literally would allow me to struggle and cry because it was hard for me to do some things with my amputations. Yeah, specifically at three Mm -hmm. years old. Yep. I had to grow up and mature a lot quicker than somebody my age would. And you're the oldest of your of your and siblings. And I'm the right? oldest of my siblings. Yeah. I'm sure the brothers were easy on you. Oh yeah, one one hundred percent. But that in de- the sense of independence came from that because my parents fostered that from me from an early age. Ah, okay. Because they were like, even though you have been through this, even though you are different than everybody else, you are capable of doing everything that everybody else can. Yeah. And that that was it. So I've always been a go-getter and always been super independent and I can do things on my own because since I was little, that's yeah. what my parents taught me from going through all of that. It makes all the sense in the world. Thank you so <laughs> much for bravely sharing that story. It makes no so much way. sense now, <laughs> like how you can exist six months plus in a shitty work environment without, you know, telling anybody or whatever, and then looking for work for a year, trying to leave this shitty workplace and not yep. asking anybody for the put on, for the referral, for the resume review, for the mentoring, for whatever. Yep. Exactly. It all makes sense. I I respect you. I have a lot of family members that you remind me of. I'm also glad that you have learned a little bit. Yes. To <laughs> let go. To let go, to, to ask people for yes. a little helping hand, right? Like I, I love to see the growth. Yes, I definitely, I could say that during the pandemic, Mm. I have experienced the most self-growth of my life. And it's not because necessarily because of the isolation or the fact that I'm, you know, like we're all stuck at home and I can't do anything else. It's not so much that. It's also that I wanted to do it. Mm. Like I self-reflected on me and I was like, what are the things in my life or personality traits that I have that I don't really like? Mm. And how can I improve on those things? So one of them was letting go and like getting help and asking people questions, not being as blunt as I used to be because I was like not afraid of hurting people's feelings. I was like, let me, I was like, let me tell you something straight and you better listen to me. I don't care how you take it. Like, I love you and I care about you. And that's why I'm saying this. And I would just lay people out, you Mm, know. But what what I ended up doing was like, you can push people away. I tried to control that. I tried to control my frustration. Like, when I'm going through something at work or whatever it may be, not taking that out on my partner. Because I can explode and be like, (laughs) let me tell you something. That's very Puerto Rican of me, but I've been trying to correct that and be like, you know what? Let me take a breather. 
Yeah. I don't want to talk right now. Can we talk in like 15 minutes when I have Hell down? Yeah. Step away you know? from the situation. Yes. And that has helped me in work too. Cause then I behave the same way. Mm. If somebody says something that I makes me feel uncomfortable or like gets me upset, I don't react in the moment. Like I used to, I just breathe in, take some time and then reach out. Yeah. You know? And so all of that's interrelated. I feel like my personal life weaves into my work life a lot. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it has to do with how I treat other people, how I speak with other people. Even in Latinx and gaming, I used to be the one where, like, I used to just lay people out. Like, the staff would be like, I don't like this because of this and this, blah, blah, blah. We can't do this. Yep. And, like, Christina called me and she's like, bro, like, you cannot be that way because mm. you're pushing people away. People would find you intimidating. And I was like... But that's not really who I am. So then I had <laughs> not to intimidating. Yeah, literally I had to like change the way that I communicated with people so that I I could still be understood and try to have my point across. Yep. But at the same time still being mindful and respectful of the other person and how they're gonna receive it. That's so um, cool to have Christina, who was a person you love and trust, uh, be able to kind of talk talk to you straight up. Yeah. Right. To be like, hey. These are, it is very factual, right? It's like, these are your actions and this is what they're causing, right? It's right, not yeah, yeah. attacking anything. It's just giving you the facts and the information for you to interpret and be like, okay, I got to yeah. do something. And that's not easy, right? That doesn't feel good mm -hmm. when somebody's like, you need to calm down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go ahead, and suave. in turn, though, in turn, that makes me comfortable because then I can go to her and be like, hey, like the way that you said that thing, like that's not okay. Like mm -hmm. maybe we can fix that. And like we, her and I have had conversations like that. And it, it feels good to be able to grow together. You know what I mean? Yeah. But definitely personally for me, I can say that I have grown a lot the past year. I'm happy that I did. And it was not easy to do. You know what I mean? There were some some hurdles there there's some people that i lost along the way mm. you know all of that happens right that's growth but it's, that's life it's growth and it's life right yeah. and as long as i feel like you know i apologize to the person i let my thoughts through if they want to come back in my life they're more than welcome to but i'm not gonna force anybody to care about me or be in my life if they don't want to and that's okay yeah you know so yeah, yeah. We a lot of growth Hey man, uh, 2020, right? Is it is what you made it, and and we I think we're soon coming out on the other side, stronger, better, wiser, so. <laughs> and, and bigger, better opportunities. You were touching on. I was in college, getting my master's, and and I think we were gonna get to how you broke in at Eline. I'd love to finish that story of like getting your master's at USC, then and getting in at Eline. How any part of that that you'd love to share for people that are always like, oh, how did Elaine break in? How does she become a game designer? So I broke in in a really weird way, right? So when I was in college, like I mentioned, like pursuing biomed engineering and medicine, nothing to do with games. None of Not my rec, none of my recs even transferred. Did you play games? <laughs> I did play games and I enjoyed them a lot. And that was one of the reasons why when somebody essentially told me that the games industry was a, a viable option, I didn't even know. That's when I was like, hmm, let me investigate because that sounds really interesting to me. Where did that come from? So talking about representation matters, it was one of my professors at my college. Yeah. And he was Mexican-American. He just saw saw something in me. He saw my potential he saw how like passionate I was in his courses and his courses 
happen to be about like games and like social informatics and things like that. So I, I guess he saw my passion and how well I was doing and like all his the assignments and everything. And he recommended me for this research institute called I3, which is the iSchool Inclusion Institute. So because I was trying to figure out right what my major was after biomed engineering, when I went to my dean, I was like, what major can I do that would allow me to graduate on time? Because I didn't want to take an extra two, three years to yeah, finish. Money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my dean was like, there's a major in the school called information technology and informatics. Yeah. It is a short major. It's only 29 credits. Um, and a lot of people are doing it and they're, you know, getting good jobs. So if you think you would be interested, I recommend you take the one-on-one course. And that's where I met the professor, um, oh. Dr. Joe Sanchez. Yeah. Shout out to Dr. Joe Sanchez. Yes. He really changed my life because it was not only his work. He was into like heavy metal and like punk and all that stuff, which is also what I'm into. Similar interests. Yes. He was a TA in the IT 101 class, but he had like this gnarly braided beard. Like it was so oh. long and it was like red and he had like his ears stretched and like a mohawk and everything. I was like, this is the coolest TA I've ever seen in my life. If he ever gives classes, I would love to take his courses. Mm-hmm. And he was just like a really, he is a dope person. After I took that, the one-on-one class, I decided to major in IT because I enjoyed it a lot. So I graduated with my IT degree. And in my last semester or so, Dr. Sanchez was like, hey, Elaine, there's this inclusion institute that encourages marginalized students to pursue graduate degrees, whether it be master's or PhDs, in information technology or informatics. So I didn't know that our school at the time, I went to Rutgers University, I didn't know that our school of communications was part of this thing called the iSchool Caucus. And iSchool just means it's an informatics school. Mm -hmm. And apparently, I didn't know this, but it was one of the top 10 schools in the whole world. So I was like, wow, like this is, this is great. He's like, hey, Elaine, if you want to go to this institute, I can vouch for you and you can get in and maybe there'll be a graduate program that you may be interested in if you don't think you're ready to go into the workforce right after college. Mm -hmm. And I always was thinking about doing a master's and a PhD. So I was intrigued. I went through the application process and I got into the institute and it was this summer long institute. So we went to the University of Pittsburgh, all expenses paid, like they pay for the flights and everything. And I literally got paid to to be in part of the summer program. Yeah. And what we had to do, we had to commit to a year-long research project after we concluded the summer program. So we got paired up with other students from across the country. And you had just had to write like a thesis paper, essentially, on a topic of your choice. And my team decided to do a paper on representation of women in games. Oh. Yeah. So I wrote this whole like 40-page paper with three other students about not only women characters and how they're depicted, but also the state of like gender roles and things like that representation in the industry and in the gaming community. So we looked at online harassment. We looked at the percentage of women who have roles in the games industry and all of that. And that really inspired me to be like, you know what? I want to make a difference. And I feel like I can. And there was another student there that was pursuing a master's of game design at NYU. 
And she was like telling me all the stuff about the the program. And I was like, you know what? I think that's what I want to do. Like I want to get a master's in game design. So she's like, I super recommend it. I love it here. But do some research because there are some other schools available. So I did exactly what she suggested. So I went online and saw that the top school at the time was the University of Southern California. And then in the top 10, it was NYU. NYU would have been was my first pick. It was near because home. It was near home and I could have just stayed home. <laughs> but I only applied to two schools, USC and NYU. NYU rejected me and USC took took me. So hey, I packed up easy. my bags and I went. And you know, my my dean uh, at the School of Informatics at Rutgers, she wrote me a rec letter. Dr. Sanchez wrote me a rec letter to go to USC. And, you know, there's a whole process where you have to, like, write an essay. Why do you want to come to yeah. the school and all Any that? Any application. And I was just like, I wrote this big, long research paper on, like, the state of the industry and wanting to make a difference as a woman, especially a woman of color in the industry. And if I can get an opportunity to get a degree mm-hmm. so that I can learn the craft and actually get a role, not just be a professor of game studies, but actually be a designer or a developer, that would make the world of a difference. And I got in. Whoa. I guess they like that essay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel as though no very little percentage of applicants come through with like a thesis paper that long right? that about the <laughs> curriculum. Yep. I'm curious, do you remember back then what the percentage was? Do you kind of remember off the top ballpark figure? Off the top of my head, I don't know the exact number, but it was less than 5%. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and Damn. this was this was looking at data in the 2010s. Yeah, yeah, probably pretty recent, yeah. pretty good. Yeah, pretty and clear. when we were writing our paper, Gamergate had started and all of that stuff. So there was a lot of data that we were able to use in the thesis paper. That that literally was what motivated me. I just wanted to make a difference. I wanted to be a Puerto Rican game designer, developer, making a difference where it counted. And I don't know, how long has it been now? Eight years? Eight years later? Ten, 11 years later? Here I am. I'm yeah. a game designer at a studio. One of us. One yes. of us. So it's been a wild ride. It's, it took a lot of convincing for my parents because they didn't understand it. <laughs> my they were like, either. why are <laughs> you not majoring in engineering, going to pre-med? You want to be a gamer? That's not yeah. a profession. I was like, yeah. I'm not going to be a professional gamer, dad. Like, I'm going to be a developer, a designer. And it did not click uh-uh. until until they came to my graduation and I had that diploma that said master's in interactive media and games. I feel like it didn't click until then yeah, <laughs> for my parents. Sure. Absolutely. They're like, you know what? I think she's going to be okay. She has a diploma. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, a, and a graduate diploma at that. Yes. Yeah. And I'm the first in my family who has a master's degree. Shout out. I was feeling myself being the first in my on the DS side to with a bachelor's, but... Hey, I've got a master. That's, that's something. That was always daunting to me, right? Like just the amount of research that goes into that damn thesis at the end of it all. I was lucky because at USC, we did not have to write a paper. We had to make a game for our thesis. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Much, much cooler. <laughs> much cooler. But it was a three-year program compared to every other program that's only two years. Yeah. So it was longer and more money. Oh, yeah. So it has its pros and cons, right? Like yeah. if anything. Do you still have that game? Is it like, does it run? Yeah, it runs, but it's 
really caca. Like, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> who I was at 25, 26 years old is very mm. different to who I am today. So hey. the game definitely doesn't speak to who I am as a designer and a person now. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I own it. Right. It's meant to give us something to talk about when we're interviewing at companies with zero experience. Right. Like when we think right. we know what it takes to make a game just yeah. to get that conversation flowing. Right. To just assess mm -hmm. how collaborative minded you are. What types of ideas are you bringing and can we train you and will you accept learning on the job kind yeah. of thing? And yep, I think that's what Brass Lane saw in me and that's where I am today. So. Yeah, I couldn't be any more happier. I feel like it's the perfect fit for me. That's oh, what uh, some friends have said. They're like, it's like the perfect company for you and what you believe in." It was like ordained, uh -huh. like by destiny for you to be there. It's like, oh, thanks, y'all, because I so really, cool. I really struggled for a long time to find a place to belong and a place mm -hmm. where I could grow and level up in my pro not only my professional career but just as a person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can't wait to see what you guys pop out, come up with. Definitely want to bring you back, see <laughs> how it's going in a year from now, working on that MMO. I hope that whenever the hell I can travel back home to see my family, that I can check out Brassline or at least like have lunch with some of the people, see the studio, whatever is possible. Yeah, hell yeah. I'll we'll make it, it happen. Let's get into the lightning round if you are ready. I am ready. All right, Mamano. <laughs> what is the last game that you finished? The last game I finished was Resident Evil Village. What would you rate it? If I were to give it a score out of 10, to be honest, I would give it like a 7. Okay. Okay. Could be <laughs> yes. better. Room for improvement. Could be better. But it's not that it was a bad game. It's just as a game designer, now I'm just super analytical about everything that I play. Yeah. And I just dissect the crap out of everything. So it's just my game designer perspective there's a lot of flaws. <laughs> Which affects your enjoyment, for sure. It really, really does, yeah. What is one thing you would have changed or would have liked to have seen done differently out of curiosity? One of the things that I did not like was the pacing of the game. Mm. So if you were to play it, the game is divided into essentially four zones. Okay. The first and the fourth zone are like, I feel like much more thought out. They're bigger, like a lot more content was weaved into it. The bookends. Yes. But the <laughs> second zone was like super quick. Mm. Like it felt like there was no substance. It was like passed over. It was so short. And like the boss fight, like legit wasn't even a boss fight. You look for something a few times and then you stab it and then you're done. It's just like, what? Uh, Anticlimactic. I was so yeah. mad. Yeah. <laughs> so mad. What is your favorite franchise or game? My favorite franchise is the Legend of Zelda franchise. And my favorite game of all time will be Ocarina of Time. Oh, that's a good, that's the right one. That's the Nintendo 64 <laughs> one. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's such a special one. I definitely have to say that Ocarina of Time has influenced me a lot as a game designer. I grab a lot from the design of Ocarina of Time. All good things, right? Like level design. Ramping up of skills. Progression pacing yes character development right like even even though like i remember it was all like text-based story and not that much of it but mm -hmm. they have the benefit of having the same story every time right like warrior awakens from yeah. slumber to save the princess who can like stop 
darkness and evil. Yeah, one of the things I think that is most influential that I have spoken to a lot of game designers and developers about, I loved about Ocarina of Time is the way that in each level that you go to, you learn like a new weapon or an armor or something, but there are a set of mechanics that you are taught Mm -hmm. throughout the dungeon. And at the end in the epic boss fight, you need to combine all those skill sets and all those things that you learn throughout the dungeon, you combine them all to defeat the boss. And to me, that is so super smart. At its best, any mechanic that you give a player, you do your best to teach it to them as quick as possible and then just challenge them over and over and over, like all the different ways you can use this. Exactly. And to be fair, it's kind of cheap, but when you have an entire dungeon dedicated to this one thing that you now have, it's fucking awesome, right? Like you you spend yes. half of the time like getting to the thing, getting to the big chest with the key. Yes. And then once you have it, now you're like fucking up that dungeon left around. Like, oh yeah, I can <laughs> yeah. jump over there and I can cross over the thing and I can burn the thing. And just when you feel like a badass, then you got the boss at the end waiting for you, right? Like that yeah. is necessitates the new tool. And it, it's just all nicely packaged, right? Like it's simple, but getting to that simplicity is a lot of hard work and iteration, right? And something right. that those Nintendo motherfuckers are so good at. They really, really are. Like, there's just, there's something about their process that I need to figure out what is it that they do to get that polish. Yeah. Really. Because yeah. it feels like a lot of thought was put into things and in the way that they were created. What is the last book that you read? The last book that I read was called Games Design and Play, A Detailed Approach to Iterative Game Design. Oh. So it's a book by Colleen Macklin and John Sharp. And I know Colleen is a a professor at NYU Game Center. I bet. That shit is going in my car. Yeah, so I read that one. It was pretty good. It was a little wordy. So if folks out there who don't like super wordy books. Written by an academic. Yes. Yeah. But it was pretty good in breaking down some game design concepts and then going in on iteration and the way that you iterate properly on certain things. Okay, I got to check it out. Yeah, because putting some of these things to words and stepping someone through is challenging, I find. So it's mm-hmm. always interesting to see how other people have approached breaking it down. Thanks for that, Rick. I, I enjoyed it. You're welcome. I, I like to read a lot of game design books just to keep myself up to date on what other people are thinking. And I mean, I always tell people, hey, like doctors have to renew their licenses every certain amount of time. Like, why shouldn't we also do the same thing? Yeah, and absolutely. We're even just refreshing ourselves on like, what are the fundamentals of game design or game development? And what is the difference between good and bad design? Like mm-hmm. all of that is super informative. You don't waste anything by just refreshing Heck yeah. um, all that knowledge. Yeah, to your point earlier too, you mentioned how much you love game jams. Game jams are a great tool mm-hmm. to connect with other people, try different mechanics that you've seen other games, see what right. it might take to put those together. And I like too that it lets you even flex other muscles to be like, all right, I'm going to be the artist or the audio person or the programmer, even though I would never dare do this for my real day right. job, right? Exactly. What is the thing you enjoy the most about what you do? 
I love researching. I think mm. that's my favorite part of what I do because no matter what type of design I'm working on, I can always do like a comparative analysis so I can play other games that have that feature or have a similar mechanic or a similar system. And I can compare and contrast and get inspired by and just analyze and critique mm -hmm. a lot of games and things. And then I can do a little bit of digging specifically into whatever project I'm working on. So I love doing that. I really, really do. <laughs> that is one of the many fun parts of the job, right? Is the excuse to go play some games that you might not have played, have been meaning to play, or has been recommended to you because, hey, it's similar themes, similar mechanics. Yeah. Okay, I guess I'll go play some games now, you know. Right, exactly. And it's like games that I haven't had the time to play mm -hmm. and I can actually get to play them. And I always recommend to students or young game designers, you don't need to play the full game through to understand how it was designed or how it works. A good two, three hours will be enough to mm -hmm. understand the systems and how they weave together, what's the game loop. That's a pretty good standard time, two to three hours. Yeah, to have your little notebook or whatever and take notes every step of the way. I just started at Brassline. This is my third week, right? Hey. And there was a lot of documentation that I had to catch up on, right? Mm -hmm. And I can tell you every single document that I read, I have notes on my game design notebook Damn. on all those documents. One, wow. because it helps me to write things down. It helps me remember and absorb information. Yeah. But also, if I just read something, I'm not going to absorb all the information. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I can easily, sure, go through, like, a 10-page document and be like, okay, I read it. Yeah. But did I actually understand and remember anything that I just read? So I literally took copious notes. Every single document that I read. Oh, it's such a good And I had student. to read a lot. God, that's good. <laughs> It keeps designers happy when people read their documentation. It really does. But it's good to be on the same page, right? Absolutely. Because that way I don't have to be like, well, are we going to have this feature? Like, what is the direction of XYZ? Like, I don't have to waste people's time because I read and I, I'm on the same page already. And I could literally just start designing right away. And yep. I was able to do that. I already started designing now on my third week of being oh, in. Oh, it's got to feel good. <laughs> It does feel good, yeah. But it was because I took the time to read all the documents. And now that I read everything I'm caught up, now I can research on the features that I have been assigned. Okay. And go out and play games that have those similar features and be like, okay, what, what is it that we want to do? What has been called out already mm -hmm. in all the previous documents? And what can I bring that's new? Yeah. You know, and that nobody really has thought of yet or something that will set our game apart from the competition, quote unquote. Yeah, man. Try to break new ground or make some mix and match some things that exactly. never have been done before in that genre. Mm -hmm. Or things that have been done in like a first person game and it's common in first person, but have not really been adopted to like an MMO. Mm -hmm. Things yeah. like that. What are common tools that you work with in your day-to-day? -day? So something that I like to use, because I really hate writing and people don't read, okay? People don't read documents, well, right? Yeah. You just said it like, designers get really happy if you read their <laughs> document. I like making collages. Oh, very visual, huh? Yes. Mm. So I get like references, screenshots, even like links to YouTube videos and stuff. 
so that I could really call out on the things that I'm talking about. And then I describe them in like little boxes using like kind of like digital post-it notes. So I use a software called PureRef. So that allows me to make a, co- a collage. I use Pinterest to like put up all my pictures. That's what it sounds um, like. And then what else? I do use like like slides. Sometimes it's better to make like a PowerPoint yeah. to explain something versus writing a two-page, three-page document. Yep. That's, that's and very I've, popular and effective, yeah. right? Like yes. it makes you think very sequentially. Right, like mm-hmm. start here, then build on it, then build on it, then build on it. Right, and right. It's easy. It's easy for people to follow because it's visual right. stuff. Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of people respond better to visuals. Yeah. Um, rather than text, doesn't matter if you're a designer, an executive, a programmer. Apparently, everybody just really likes visuals yeah. versus text. <laughs> yep. Nobody. So that's what I'm. I've been trying to do lately. That's a great call. Nobody is going to love your document as much as you do. But <laughs> the information still has to get out there. And right. you, unfortunately, you can't trust that everybody's going to go through everything with a fine-tooth comb. But a right. PowerPoint, you can at least hold them accountable to be like, yo, I sat you there. I stared into your eyes. I presented you the thing. And you nodded, you nodded your head like, yeah. And I here's the gist of what I'm trying to present. Mm-hmm. But what I'm going to actually start doing now. So I made that. Like I made a collage. I gave a gist of information. And now I'm going to go into a proper document and bring all that stuff into more yeah. details. Right. Go deeper. But I want to have multiple options. So like if you are an artist or a programmer or whatever, you can look at the PowerPoint yeah, the and, under- and be on the same page mm-hmm. as if you were to read the document. You know, but the document just provides a little bit more details, a little bit more granular in certain areas where, for example, if we were to pitch to executives or whoever it may be, they may want to read that document to see where's your head at? What is it really that you're, what's your intent and purpose with this? It's important, right? There's the high level to establish some common vocabulary and then you can go deeper for the people that are going to be very dependent on those systems or mechanics or story or what have you, right? To be like, oh, okay, that's how I got to hook in or I got to sit with you and meet about this thing. Right, exactly. So that's what I have learned and I really enjoy it. Another thing that I like to do is a lot of uh, UX design. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm not a UI artist or a UX designer, I really enjoy it and I find it valuable. So I do like to create wireframes and things when I have the opportunity to. I took a few courses online on UX and now I know just like basics, like fundamentals. Yeah. So I can create a wireframe and be like, okay, let's say we wanted to come up with some type of menu for whatever reason. I can put something together and I could have it react on clicks and things like that. Okay. So using something like Adobe XD Envision, Figma, for example, in Beyond Blue, the game that I worked on at Eline. That's your first game, huh? My first like full professional ship game. Yeah. So in that one, a post-release, I designed photo mode for it. How did I do that? Well, I used Envision, which is like a UI UX software. Mm-hmm. And I mocked up what would different types of menus look like for photo mode? Do we anchor it on the left or on the right? What is it going to look like on console and PC versus iOS? Because mm. we were multi-platform. 
So how is that going to look like and how are the directions going to be different, right? You know, like a mouse click is a little bit different and on iOS because the screen is much, much smaller. We may have to do things a little bit different. Yeah. So I did all of that concepting and UX design myself yeah. um, on those softwares. Yeah. And then we shipped it and I was really happy because people liked it. You got on all the platforms and... Yes. Yeah, I got some awards too. People called out like the feeling, I guess, right? And at the end of the day, if you can make somebody feel something from something you made, right? That's a huge win. Yep. So I was really happy I was able to work on that. And I learned a lot too. You never forget your first. And then now you're yeah. on to bigger and better things. Is there anywhere that people can connect with you, reach out to you, see what you're working on, anything like that? I'm mostly active on Twitter and I check my DMs and my mentions every day. So if there's any like junior or young game designers and developers or people who want to get into the industry or people who would like to know specifically about some things that I have done or whatever it may be, that would be the best avenue to contact me. My Twitter handle is Tulatastic, so it's Tula and Tastic, like fantastic. So that's pretty much my handle on all my socials, so including Discord. I'm in the Latinx in gaming server as a staff member, so if people do at me for whatever reason, I do respond. All right. But generally Twitter, and I also respond very quickly to emails. So my personal email is elaine at elaine-gomez.com. You can actually go to my portfolio, elaine-gomez.com, and the contact link will have like a, a form that you can fill out and it goes straight to my email. That's awesome. Is Brass Lion hiring? Yes, Brass Lion is hiring for a bunch of positions. And I think right now we're looking at a lot of programmer and technical positions. So okay. if you are interested in any of that and maybe even a few art positions, but I'm not sure. Don't okay. quote me on that. Check the website. Yes, check the website to see what we have available right. because we are hiring. And our team is amazing. I cannot rave about it enough. Everybody is super kind, inclusive, mindful of like your mental health and like mm. your personal life. So yeah, really great place to work. And the project is pretty, pretty dope. So That's key, man. If the people are good, the project is good, and the pay is good, then this is a, this is a winner in my book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And don't say I'll share that link as well. So that's brassblindentertainment.com slash careers. Yep. That'll be in the show notes. And finally, last question of the day, and then you can go about the rest of your evening. Who do you nominate to fall out of the play area if you feel so inclined? I nominate my good friend, fellow game designer, Sandra Huntingman. She is a game designer at Dots. And one of my good friends whom I'm very excited to see once I move to New York City again. Shout out to Sandra. She was also on the Latinx Game Festival panel that we did, the game yes. design panel. So it'll be cool to catch up with her, see what she's been up to since then. She's awesome. She's good people. Buena gente. Heck yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Elaine. Is there any last words before we wrap this up? You're welcome. No, thank you so much for having me and letting me talk uh, a lot. <laughs> I'm happy that you gave me the space and the time. And I hope that folks who listened were able to grab just a little something to take with them and apply to their lives. And yeah, pa'lante. Pa'lante.
Heck yeah. What did it say? Ni patra. Patra ni pa coger impulso. There it is. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. My grandmother used to say that all the time. Till next time. Bye. What a brave soul. What a class act. What a creative spirit. The next generation in this industry is looking mighty, mighty bright. I really love some of the things she talked about there where you can kind of see that timing was everything, right? She was looking for work for a while and she found her dream one. I know a lot of us lose patience when we want something, we want it here and now. And her story is a testament to good things coming to those who wait. Another thing that's essential for us is to stand up for our teammates and call out whenever anybody's coming out of their face. She spent way too long in a toxic culture and environment that was allowed to persist by the leadership over there. And I'm so happy that she was able to escape that. I am going to hold her to her word of giving me a tour of Brass Line whenever the heck I get back home, which to be honest, with this damn Omicron variant, uh, I think me and the rest of the DS clan are going to hunker down and stay in isolation and we'll just catch up with everybody virtually until things get a little bit more under control. Definitely take down some negotiation tactics, right? Whenever you're looking to make a jump, if you can line up a bunch of offers, that just kind of makes you have a stronger bargaining position to get yourself the best compensation for your time and skills. Another gem was her resume, right? Like the difference it can make when you change your resume or are able to add new skills to it, right? All these are great tips for finding work when you're looking for opportunity out there. On the next episode of Out of Play Area, episode number 23, debuting in a couple of weeks, we are going to sit down with Johnny Wu, a QA director at Riot Games, who's been in this industry for a long time, coming through QA up and down. He was a development director at Respawn on Apex Legends. He was the QA director for King. Before that, he was at Zynga. And he's got a lot of tales and experience to share with you all. Make sure to follow us so that you don't miss out on that episode. Thank you for listening, devs. If you found this episode informative, I ask that you pay a link forward to a developer to help grow our listener community. If you're a game developer with a story you think could help a fellow dev out, please go to outofplayarea.com and click on the Calendly link at the top to meet up. Please make sure you get approval from your manager or studio's PR or HR team beforehand. Out of Play Area, the Game Developers Podcast, releases new episodes every other Monday on all the major players, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. Please make sure to follow us to see what developer falls out of the play area next time. I'm your host, John Diaz. Until next time, devs, stay strong, stay true, stay dangerous. Mega Ran, bring them home. Fight attendants, prepare for takeoff. Captain crew, please take your seats. We are now about to enter the out-of-play area. Yeah. If you can't reach me, I apologize. Since we out of play, I never compromise. John D, NYC, know we got the vibe. Make sure you hit that follow when you hit subscribe. Out-of-play area podcast. Out-of-play, out-of-play area podcast. We got a play. It's just a little something for the game devs. Stay strong, stay true, and stay dangerous. Had to switch the styles for a challenge. Best thing out of Harlem since Young Miles Morales. A new podcast comes to provide the balance. With game dev veterans and rising talents. Out of play. Welcome to the Out of Play Area Podcast. A show 
No BS, just the real. Welcome to the out of play area. Let's go. Work, 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 work